in a series called Free Indeed, and I told you at the first of this series that Satan does not want you to hear this. He does not want you to hear this message. And uh, let me just ask you, all the campuses, have you noticed a little more warfare in the last couple of weeks? <clears throat> well, I have, and I'm tired of it. And so, I was just going to enlist all of you as intercessors today, and uh, I think all of us as a church just need to step up our level of prayer the next few weeks. You, you, you follow me? Let's just spend a little more time in prayer. Uh, let's just say boo in Jesus' name a little bit more <laughs> to Satan. Uh, it, it's really, it doesn't matter that much what you say to him as long as you use in Jesus' name. So, um, so let's just step up our, our level of prayer, all right? All right, the title of today's message is Permission Granted. Permission granted. I want you to turn to two scriptures, obviously, uh, Luke 22. We'll start there, Luke 22, and then put a marker at Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. We will actually, these are the first two uh, points. We're going to go through these scriptures, and I'm gonna actually going to ask you to turn to the third scripture and to the third point, and we're going to go through a lot of scripture in this message. And I believe the scripture is going to so teach us what we need to hear. So, the title of the message, again, is Permission Granted. Do we ever, as believers, grant Satan permission to come against us or to take us bondage in an area? But we're also going to answer the question in this message, does God ever grant Satan permission to take us bondage in an area, and I want you to think about for a moment the whole Old Testament of God's people sinning and God granting the enemy permission to take His people into bondage and His people then crying out to Him and Him releasing them from that bondage, but teaching them through it, all right? So I see some raised eyebrows as you're thinking about that. Hmm, what does that mean? Okay, well, we'll look at the Word and see what it means, all right? We've talked about that Satan is a thief, and Jesus said he's always looking to come in some other way. Uh, Joel said he, he, he comes in through uh, windows, or he comes in through an open door. Uh, I, I want to tell you, and we're going to deal with this one open door, but three definitions of it in this message, but the number one open door that I've seen believers, even mature believers, open a door to Satan in this area is the area of pride. Now, it is amazing to me that when we talk about pride, that many people are proud that they don't have pride. <laughs> so, before you dismiss this subject, uh, let me give you, I, I, I'm excited because I feel like the Lord gave me some definitions of pride that when you look at it, you think, oh, I might have done that. So, here, here's number one, pride is trusting in your own strength. Pride is trusting in your own strength. Now, look at Luke chapter 22, beginning of verse 31, Luke 22 verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you, we'll come back to the word asked that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, 
Still sounds like when you go through the sifting. And when you have returned, that would obviously indicate that he would fall away. When you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Now, this is an amazing passage of Scripture. New Testament, Jesus saying to a believer, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. But I tell you what, I prayed for you. And when you come back, strengthen your brothers. In other words, you're going to fall. It's pretty strong. Uh, now, what's amazing about the, the New Testament is that we know it was written in Greek, and Greek many times will have three or four words for a word we only have one word in English, like the word asked. Uh, this is not the normal word, Greek word, for asked. This word has a strong implication that we need to understand. And I'm actually going to show you the, the Greek lexicon uh, definition of this word asked. Here's what it says. It says, this word asked means to ask for something and to receive what one asked for. To ask for with success. To ask and receive. In other words, this could be translated, Satan asked and received permission to sift you like wheat. The New American Standard says it this way, Satan has demanded permission. In other words, he has a right he has a right in your life. There's an open door in your life, Simon. And what would that open door be? I personally think it was that he trusted in his own strength. I personally think that he had pride. And the reason I think that is because of the conversation that takes place right before this. Now, Luke actually doesn't record what was said right before this, but Matthew, Mark, and John record it. And let me, let me read it to you and see if you see any, any pride in Peter, all right? Uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 27 says, Then Jesus said to them, All of you, all of you, will be made to stumble because of, my, because of me this night. For it is written, now he's going to quote Scripture to say, this, this has already been written, so this is going to happen. I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, assuredly I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently, arrogantly. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Now, I, I, I think Jesus was trying to say to Peter, what part of all do you not understand? <laughs> all of you will deny me. Not me. These weaklings might, Lord, but not me. So Jesus said, oh, can me just tell you, you're going to do it tonight three times. And he said, no, not me. It, Jesus is telling him. And then Jesus says, well, well listen, there, there's a scripture in the Old Testament that says that you will. And Peter says, no, the Bible's wrong. <laughs> That's pride. Let me show you a little more pride. Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You have to be feeling pretty good about yourself to rebuke Jesus. <laughs> Saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. 
But he, watch this carefully in your Bible, turned to and said to Peter, said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me for you're not mindful of the things of God but the things of men. Now, if that doesn't help open our eyes to something, Jesus looked right at a man and said to a man, get behind me, Satan. He addressed Satan in the man. He addressed him. And whatever you want to be, your theology be, whether he was on him, in him, around him, behind him, whatever. But Jesus, you're going to have to deal with this scripture. Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. And you got to remember, this is right before, right, what happened right before this was Jesus changed uh, Peter's name from Simon to Peter. Now he calls him Satan. Of course, Peter's probably thinking, oh, I like Peter better. <laughs> But it's arrogance, it's pride, and it's trusting his own strength. Do you realize when they came to arrest him, one of the disciples cut off a soldier's ear? Want to take a guess who it was? Peter. Peter, do you know why he cut his ear off? Because he missed his head. <laughs> He's trying to split his head wide open with a garrison of soldiers, we really don't know how many, a, a centurion which, over, which oversaw the crucifixion of Jesus, a centurion sent would oversee a hundred soldiers. There could have been a hundred soldiers there. And, and Peter is going to take them all on with one sword. That's trusting in your own strength. But because of this, Jesus said to him, listen, Satan's got, he's got a right. He's coming, he's coming because you've opened up a door to him. And then Peter does something, like we talked about in the first message, under the influence, totally out of character for himself. He did not, this strong disciple that's willing to take on a whole garrison of soldiers turns around and denies Jesus to the teenage waitress. And he even curses and swears. He starts using curse words, saying, I don't know him. I don't know the man. Please, please hear me about this. Um, what, what I'm going to share with you today, many mature believers fall into this trap. They've walked with the Lord a long time, and they begin to trust in their own strength to resist temptation. Is it possible this is why King David fell? Because he was a very, very strong man. So, number one, Pride is trusting in your own strength. By the way, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Okay, so number two, pride is trusting in your own righteousness. Pride is trusting in your own righteousness. Now, uh, flip back to Job chapter 1, or click to Job chapter 1, however you read your Bible, just read it. Job chapter 1. Most of us know the story of Job. I, I had a friend of mine that he, he, uh, right after he got saved, he read the book of Job because he needed one. <laughs> and he said to me, you know, that book didn't help me much. <laughs> I told him, I said, no, read John. Read John. Don't, don't read Job. Read John. Okay. Pride is trusting in your own righteousness. Look at Job chapter 1, verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? 
So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. This is like we said last week. He goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and an upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, well, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. I would say that's granting permission. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. That's a very difficult passage to understand. But it's really not that difficult when you read the rest of the book. For 32 chapters, 31, Job, uh, he has three friends that show up to try to comfort him. You don't, you don't want these friends, by the way. Um, but in essence, they do speak a lot of truth. They say to him over and over and over again, Job, are you sure there's not an open door in your life? Are you sure there's no cause that the enemy was able to use against you? And Job says, nope, 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 nope. I have not done these things, and I have done these things. And he lists the things that he hasn't done, and he lists the things that he has done. And he says, no, 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 no. In chapter 32, there's a young man named Elihu that's been sitting there the whole time listening. And, and I don't have time to read all of it, but in essence, this is what he says. He says, I, I've, I've held it all I can hold it. He said, I didn't say anything because all you guys are old dudes, and I figured eventually you'd get the right answer. But none of you have figured it out, and so I'm going to tell you what the problem is here. And we'll pick it up at that. Job chapter 32, verse 1. So these three men ceased answering Job. Now watch, here's the answer to the whole book. Because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then the wrath of Elihu, the son of a, a hard word person, um, and, and of something else, of the family of Ram, was aroused against Job. His wrath was aroused, now watch carefully again, because he justified himself rather than God. He justified himself rather than God. Uh, he, he goes on for several chapters, chapter 33, verses 8 and 9. He says, surely you have spoken in my hearing, and I have heard the sound of your words. He said, I heard this come out of your mouth saying, I am pure without transgression. I am innocent, and there is no iniquity in me. Okay, he would have had to be Jesus for that to be true. And then he, he concludes this, in part of his conclusion, he says in Job 36, verse 3, I, this is Elihu, the young man talking, I will ascribe righteousness to my maker. Here's the sin. Here was the open door in Job's life. He was righteous because of what he did, not because of who he knew. His whole discourse is about what he did. I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, and I haven't done this, and I haven't done this, and I haven't done this. Hear me again. Mature believers fall prey to pride in this area. Because when we get saved, I want you to think about this. When we get saved, we know that our righteousness comes from God because we weren't righteous. And God came by His grace and saved us. But 10 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later, now we lead a group 
Now we're a leader in the church. Now we don't, we don't do all those things, and we do these things, and we just begin to feel like we're righteous because of what we do. We are not righteous because of what we do. We're righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son alone. It's the only reason we're righteous. And when you begin to believe and trust in your own righteousness, that's pride. See, here, here's what G- Jesus said. Jesus said, well, it's kind of like the Pharisee. And he was in church praying, and a, a sinner came in, and this was his prayer. God, thank you that I'm not like others. Thank you, Lord. He compared himself. That's what Job does for 31 chapters. He says, compare me to anybody. Compare me to anybody, and you'll see I'm, I'm, I'm righteous. I'm righteous. Well, here's the only problem with that is that God showed up. And God said, okay, you want to do some comparisons? You want to compare yourself? How about if you compare yourself to me? Uh, watch what God said. Just a few things that God said to Job. See if you would have wanted to be in Job's shoes that day. Job 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Let me put that in a simpler version for you. Just paraphrase it. God said, what idiot is talking right now? (laughs) Now prepare yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. Watch this. Watch what God says. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? How would you like God to ask you that? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? And then listen to the sarcasm. Surely you know. (laughs) Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Who laid its cornerstone? Verse 12, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? One version says, have you ever told the sun when to come up? Verse 22, have you ever entered the treasury of snow? You know where I keep the snow? Have you seen the treasury of hell? Verse 24, here's a good one for God to ask you. By what way is light diffused? (laughs) Verse 34, can you lift up your voice to the clouds that an abundance of water may cover you? Can you tell it when to rain? Because I can. Can you send out lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? One version says, does lightning come to your throne and ask where to strike? Verse 26, does the hawk fly by your wisdom and spread its wings toward the south? Does the eagle mount up at your command and make its nest on high? And then God ends it with this statement, Job chapter 40, verse 8. Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Can you imagine God asking that? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? And of course, Job repents. Please hear me. I've seen a lot of mature believers begin to trust in their own righteousness. And here's the point. A lot of them really are righteous as far as they're living. And I believe in righteous living. Please hear me. Because unrighteous living opens the door to the demonic. So I believe in living righteously. But living righteously doesn't make us righteous. Only the blood of Jesus does. I was talking to a man one time so steeped in pride and trying and trying and trying to get him. And he was telling me, about all these trouble he was having in his life and all these things going wrong. And then he said to me, he said to me, and I've, I've always done the right thing. I've always done the right thing. And I just flinched when I heard it. I thought, no, you haven't always done the right thing. 
Nobody's always done the right thing. But what he was saying was, I'm righteous because I've done the right thing. So, pride is trusting your own strength. Pride is trusting your own righteousness. Here's number three. Pride is trusting in your own wisdom. Your own wisdom. You can figure it out. Uh, I'd really like you to turn back to this passage, we'll, and I'll just explain it a little bit, give you a little background as you're turning. First Kings chapter 22. Just go to the left, just a few books there. First Kings chapter 22. Um, this will be one of the most amazing passages you ever see in your Bible, ever. This is talking about Ahab when he was king of Israel. Remember, Ahab married Jezebel. Jezebel had 850 prophets, but they lost their heads to Elijah, would be one way to say that. Uh, when Elijah showed up and called fire down on Mount Carmel, uh, she took care of them. She, they were on her payroll. Uh, Ahab had 400 prophets on his payroll. He took care of them, fed them, took them real good so that they would prophesy good things. It's very important to understand this. Listen to me carefully. Because there are a lot of leaders that keep, keep people around them that won't tell them no. And those are not wise leaders. So Ahab is the king of Israel. He asked Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, to come visit him. Jehoshaphat was a good king. Ahab was a very bad king, very, very, very bad, very wicked. And Ahab says in his conversation, hey, let's go attack the king of Syria and get back Ramoth Gilead, this city that should be ours. And King Jehoshaphat says, um, let's ask a prophet. And so Ahab calls his 400 prophets that are on his payroll, and they said, yes, go, yeah, yeah, God will be with you. And Jehoshaphat says, uh, any other prophets? <laughs> and let me, we'll pick it up at that. First Kings 22, verses 7 and 8. And Jehoshaphat said, is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there's still one man, Micaiah. Now, this is not Micah that wrote the book. This is a different prophet, and his name is Micaiah, not Micah. Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. Now watch this. But I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, <laughs> but evil. So he said, well, let's call him anyway, and they have to bring him out of prison. Ahab had put him in prison three years earlier because he, he'd already told him, you're going to die. You know, you make God mad, so you're going to die. And so Ahab put him in jail for that. Uh, verse 15, then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. So the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? <laughs> in other words, basically he's saying, you're going to do it anyway. Doesn't matter what I say. And then he said, so here's the truth now. I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. Remember when they have no shepherd, the wolf attacks them. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. In other words, don't go to war with this king because you won't come back. You, you need to go home. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? Then Micaiah said, therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. Now let's stop just for a minute because I know the host of heaven refers to angels. But what many people don't realize is there are sometimes it refers to the fallen angels also. Notice that they're standing on the Lord's right hand and on his left. 
Remember, Jesus said when the Son of Man comes in his kingdom, he'll put sheep on his right and goats on his left. Notice the host of heaven now is on his right and on his left. Let me show you one more scripture about the host of heaven. Stay where you are, but let me read you another one so you understand that sometimes the host of heaven represents the fallen angels as well. 2 Kings 21 verse 1, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. He raised up altars for Baal. He made a wooden image as Ahab, that's the worst king that Israel ever had, by the way, as Ahab king of Israel had done. And he worshiped all the host of heaven and served them. He worshiped angels. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, in Jerusalem I will put my name. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Also, he made his son pass through the fire, practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft, and consulted spiritists and mediums. He worshiped demons. That's what he did. Okay, so remember Micaiah said, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne in the host of heaven was standing on his right and on his left. It's important to understand that there were some fallen angels there because of what you're about to see. Remember, we just read in Job where, where Satan was standing in front of the throne of God, and God gave him permission to go some, do something, all right? So watch verse 20 now. 1 Kings 22, verse 20. And the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth-Gilead? So one spoke in this manner, another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit, wonder what kind of spirit this is, came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. Then the Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. That's not a good Holy Spirit, by the way. That's an evil spirit, a lying spirit. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Now watch this. God's about to give orders to a demon. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. This is an amazing passage. Now, first, a couple of things I want you to understand. First of all, I want you to understand who's in control. There is not a battle between God and the devil. The devil is a created being. God is the creator. God is in charge. And God will use the enemy to fulfill his purposes sometimes. And God is completely and totally in charge of everything. And here you have the Lord sitting on his throne and a lying spirit talking to him and God giving him orders. Now, let me just clarify a few other things. I've had people say when I say, now, a Christian uh, uh, can be influenced by a demon. Uh, a demon can enter. We understand that. But here's what people say. Some people say to me, well, a demon couldn't enter me because God lives here. The Holy Spirit lives in me and a demon can't live where God lives. Okay, well, we've got a couple of problems with that theology. Because God is omnipresent. He lives everywhere. So if a demon can't live where God lives, a demon can't live. Don't make up theology. Okay, then we've got another problem that somebody say, well, well, I'm not talking about the omnipresence of God. I'm talking about the manifest presence of God. The manifest presence of God lives in me, and a demon can't live where the manifest presence of God lives. I would say that the throne is the manifest presence of God. And there was a demon standing right in front of his throne. And there, we read Job and Satan was standing there and God gave him orders. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. You need to understand God's in control. And when you sin, you open a door to the enemy and God may grant the enemy to come in and sift you like wheat. 
And I'm going to answer the question of why God would do that at the end of this message. I'll answer that question. But here was the problem. Ahab trusted in his own wisdom. Hey, I, Debbie and I were meeting with a, a, a couple one time, and they were going the wrong way. There was no doubt. There was no doubt. And we got in the car afterwards, and Debbie said to me, um, I thought you would say a little more than you did. And I said to her, he's, he's not going to listen. He actually thinks he's smarter than I am. And he thinks he's smarter than most people. And she said, well, then what's going to happen? I said, God's going to send the enemy, and then hopefully he'll repent. That's what's going to happen. And that's exactly what happened. God sent the enemy, but he didn't repent. So you need to understand something. God's in control. And when you open a door because you trust in your own wisdom that you're smart enough and you don't listen to people who say, stop, 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 you're in trouble. Uh, this wisdom, by the way, uh, James 3 talks about it. James 3 verse 14 says, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Now watch carefully. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. Let me put it to you another way. There's a demon talking to you, and you think it's God because you trust in your own wisdom and not in the Lord. No one can correct you. You're smarter than everybody else. When you're smarter than everyone else, you have pride. When you have pride, you have an open door. When you have an open door, the wolf's coming in. There's no doubt about it. So, would God ever grant permission for Satan to attack a believer? Absolutely. We just saw it with Peter. He said Satan asked and he was given permission. He asked for Job, and then you've got Ahab. But hear me very carefully, why would God do that? Listen to me very carefully. It's always, it's always, it's always, always for your good. Would a parent ever spank a child? Sure, for his good, because you don't want him going the wrong way. I'm gonna show you a scripture that will tell you why God would do this, and it is probably the most misquoted scripture in the Bible. 99 out of 100 times that I hear this scripture quoted, it is misquoted. And it's important to quote it correctly. Here's the scripture. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Okay, how is this scripture normally quoted? You know, the Bible says pride goes before a fall. Pride goes before fall. Bible says pride goes before fall. No, didn't say that. It said a haughty spirit goes before fall. It said pride goes before destruction. So when you have pride in your life, what's going to happen? You're going to be destroyed. So what does God do? In his grace, he sends the enemy so that you go into bondage, so that in that bondage you cry out and say, God set me free. Amen. And God sets you free if you cry out to him. But if you continue in your pride, you'll be destroyed. We need to, it's, it's like pushing someone out of the way of an oncoming bus. They're gonna fall down on the pavement, they're gonna get scratched up, may even break a bone, but they didn't get killed. It's exactly what God would do. God would say, I don't want you to be destroyed. Think about this. Peter and Job had Satan come against them, but they repented. Peter became one of the preeminent apostles in the New Testament church. Job had everything Satan stole restored by twice as much. But Ahab didn't repent. God sent 
Micaiah, a prophet, to say to him, you're going to fall. There's a lying spirit. They're lying to you. You're going to fall. Ahab could have said, I'll repent. By the way, Ahab repented and got on something else, and God extended his life three years. But you know what he did? He didn't repent. Instead, he went into battle. But here's what he did. He thought he could outsmart God. He, he, he didn't put his kingly garments on. As a matter of fact, he told Jehoshaphat to wear his garments, his kingly garments, thinking they'll kill Jehoshaphat. I'll be the ruler of all then, and I'll still make it. And he put on normal armor and pretended to be a regular soldier, but stayed in the very back of the battle, where the battle wasn't very hot. They chased Jehoshaphat thinking it was the king of Israel. And here's what it says. When they found out that it wasn't the king of Israel, they quit chasing him. Jehoshaphat, by the way, got away. But watch this scripture. 1 Kings 22, verse 34. Now a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. And Ahab died. But God warned him. He told him, if if you go... You're going to die. And a certain man draws a bow at random, shoots an arrow, and God guides that arrow to where it hits him right in the joint of his armor and kills him. But in God's grace, in God's grace, he told him, it's going to happen if you don't listen to me. But let me say this. I want you to remember, pride is trusting your own strength, your own righteousness, your own wisdom. Listen, pride is a trap that the strong, the righteous, and the wise fall into many times. Let me say it again. Pride is a trap that the strong, the righteous, and the wise can fall into. If you don't trust in the Lord's strength, the Lord's righteousness, and the Lord's wisdom. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to take a moment and be very honest. Lord, do I have pride in my life? I want you to be honest. Do I have pride? Pride's an open door. Permission granted. That's what happens. We grant the enemy permission. All of us have had this happen. All of us have had been going along and we know we've kind of gotten that place where we got arrogant and prideful and then something happened and we cried out to God, God forgive me. God forgive me. Let's cry out to God before something happens. Let's cry out now. We, we want to pray for you the end of every service at every campus we have one more worship song we ask that no one leave during this time because people are being ministered to we understand if, if you have an emergency a plane to catch a child is sick something like that but if you don't have an emergency please take the extra minutes to either come and be prayed for or to worship during this time so that we create an atmosphere for those that we are praying for so they can be ministered to But if you need prayer in any area, and I really want to extend the the invitation today to some of you who've never come to the altar for prayer. You know, uh, simply coming to the altar might be an expression of you humbling yourself to God. And so many times we feel righteous enough 
strong enough, wise enough, we can work through this by ourselves. But by simply asking someone else to pray for us is an expression of our humbling ourselves before God. So here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, we're going to stand at every campus. We're going to sing one more worship song. During that time, I want you to come. If you need prayer for any area of your life, you come to the front of the campus or front of the overflow room, wherever you're seated, there'll be people at the front. If you're in the second level at South Lake, beside each exit, we, have, we will have people to pray. So you don't have to come all the way down to the front. You can go toward the exit, and there'll be people there with name tags on that can pray for you. We need every person on our ministry team to be able to pray today. We'll need a lot of people. And I want you to come as quickly as you can if you're on the ministry team. So as soon as we stand up, if you need prayer for any area of your life, you just stand up, step out, and come. Holy Spirit, I pray you'll draw every person at every campus that you're dealing with right now in this area. In Jesus' name, amen.